say thank you for sending us on a sabbatical. We had a blast. Um, I have more pictures that I can show and we could spend this whole time with me kind of walking through what God has done, but I'm actually going to, we'll take our time with that over the next little while where we'll, I'll show you some of what God is doing, but my heart is full and excited and so happy to be back. I love our church and I missed you and I'm so glad to be back, but I'm also very thankful for Dave and Eric Don and Mark, who carried the load uh, in the pulpit for me and did such a good job. I said to Paul as I came in, do I still have a job? And he, you know, he basically said, we'll see. You know, I, uh, I don't know, the itinerant pastor thing, I'd like to quit that as my title. I'd just like to go back to pastor if that's possible. Uh, and I'm very thankful uh, for all of you. And all joking aside, thank you for the privilege that we had. We feel so loved and encouraged as we spend time in California and time with our family and time with God and time with each other. And, um, and God did some pretty cool things in our hearts as he brought us together. Today we're looking at Romans 8, continuing our study of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so I would have you turn to Romans 8. This is one of the chapters in Scripture that I have uh, found such a... a found such hope from. I've quoted it often in my ministry. I studied Romans for the first time in earnest a, couple of, a little over a couple decades ago, and I was doing youth ministry at the time, and uh, I got to chapter 8, and I was so excited that, uh, that I asked a couple of the kids that were in the youth group with me to memorize Romans 8 with me. And we memorized Romans 8 together, and as I talk about the benefits of Romans 8 and have talked about it many times, I remember when I preached Romans, I talked about Romans 8 kind of as reaching the mountaintop of Romans. And that along the path, you have to learn about our, our sinfulness and that we need a Savior and that we need to find peace in Christ, chapter 5, and that we need to conquer sin, know that we, are, we have lives over sin, chapter 6, know that we're still going to struggle with sin, chapter 7. And, uh, and then we get to chapter 8, it begins with, there is therefore no now condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it just comes alive. It's like, wow, the view. Almost like you're on one of those mountains that you can look down and say, wow, this is, look at what God has done for us. But the question is, I look at Romans 8 and I could tell you about how the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in giving us life. Romans 8.11 says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That means the spirit is actively feeding life into you, spiritual life into you. Those of you who are Christians and who have done this Roman road walk. In Romans 8.15 it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, uh, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit is telling us in our hearts that we are his children, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's affirming that sonship and daughtership in each of us. That's what the Holy Spirit is actively doing for us today. And as it goes on, you'll see at the end of Romans 8, it talks about we are inseparable from the glory of God and the love of God. No matter what this world has to throw into us, throw at us, it, we are told in Romans 8 that we are more than victorious in Christ Jesus that he's going to turn everything for good, that we are 
surrounded by his love. And all of this is being affirmed to us by the Holy Spirit. That nothing can separate us from his, from his love. You would think that in Romans 8, that this, this moment where we're getting a view of all God has done, there would not be lament. And yet, right in the middle of it, the Spirit is affirming lament. Sorrow brokenness and suffering. Actually, in some terms, probably no more dramatic way does he declare you will still suffer in ways that you can't even communicate. You don't even know how to speak how you're suffering and the groaning that's going on in your heart. That's right in the middle of Romans 8. It doesn't seem to make sense that God would put it there. But actually, it's part and parcel to what it means to be a Christian. It's what God is doing in our hearts. He didn't take us out of this world. He entered into it with us. The same Spirit who gives us life and reminds us of our adoption and talks about glory and love to us and, and, and comforts us is the same Spirit that acknowledges that what we're going through may be too hard for us to ever articulate. We suffer. Our passage today is Romans 8, 26 to 30. And I understand that we are dropping into Romans 8, but if we looked at the rest of Romans 8, we may not spend the time considering what's exactly being said here about suffering. In the, pat, in, when, in the worship earlier, we had James 2 read. I memorized James 2, the beginning part of it, before I memorized Romans 8. As a young father, I, read, I memorized James 2 and it said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And I thought, ah, that's pretty satisfying. I'm a young man. That's pretty good. I, I, I'm supposed to shrug it off. Going through some difficulties. Yeah, but Jesus is waiting. The pessimist says that the good things that we go through only stand to make the hard things worse. The optimist says that the bad things happen only standing there to prove that the good things are better. It makes the good stuff taste better. It's almost like getting a little hungry before dinner and the food tastes better. That's what suffering is. That is not, neither of those are true to the scriptures. Suffering is real and significant. And it does us no good to make light of it. And the scriptures don't make light of it. So as we look at this passage, we are going to see how the Holy Spirit helps us in our suffering, that there is real help for us available in suffering as we trust Christ and we trust the Holy Spirit with that suffering. And some of you are already saying in your heads and in your hearts, well, I'm not one who suffers much. I did the same thing. I do it regularly. I keep thinking, well, I'm one of those, and I think that that's just not true. We all suffer. And yes, some suffer significantly in ways that we should stand with them the best that we can, and I'm not trying to belittle that, but at the same time, there's no reason to belittle anybody else's suffering at the same time. I'm convinced that we all come with a knowledge of suffering. And if I would have understood it in my 20s, I would have been able to acknowledge that I was already 
well-versed in the subject of suffering. Rejection, diminishing, belittling, being beat up. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is in verses 26 and 27. We'll read through the whole passage and then we'll concentrate on three things that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf for. Verse 26, like the, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Would you join me in prayer as we begin looking at this passage? Heavenly Father, thank you that your Son suffered with us, for us. Thank you that from his suffering, glory came, promise came, hope came. Thank you that your plan for love to be put on display was in the context of suffering. And thank you that you remove much suffering from us and will ultimately remove it completely and thank you that you stand with us through the things that we suffer now. In Jesus' name, amen. The Spirit intercedes with compassion. It is not lost on me that one of the philosophers' arguments against the existence of the Christian God is that there's evil in the world, is that there's suffering. The logic goes like this. If God is absolutely powerful and God is absolutely good, why doesn't he absolutely eradicate pain and suffering? And Bertrand Russell, building on that subject, argues that that's the proof that that God doesn't exist. He's either not powerful or he's not good because there's clearly pain and suffering and evil. Evil people dominate others who are innocent. Children are still wounded by others and diseases still take people that we care for and we watch people that we love. I mean, evil's real, right? And powerful and, and suffering is real, isn't it? Is Bertrand Russell right? Is that the conclusion? This passage declares in the midst of the glory of God being put on display through the Holy Spirit that the Spirit meets us in our weakness. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, already there are two clues that we need to look a couple verses up to see what he's talking about, and we will, but I want to go a little further. The first thing I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit all summer and different things that the Holy Spirit does, and I could have picked a number of things to look at that would have been really fun in chapter 8 of Romans to talk about with the Holy Spirit. But right now, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit's job is to help His people in suffering. 
to stand with them. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We don't know how to pray as we ought. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that we're not very good prayers? Does he mean that uh, you know, we need to get a prayer book that will instruct us the right things to say? No, I think he's talking about we don't know where to go with this suffering. We can't make sense of it. I have asked God to remove this from me. I have asked God to save me. I have asked God to help me. And he hasn't yet. Not in the way that I expected him to. So we have the admission that the Holy Spirit is here to help us. The powerful Holy Spirit is at work in us, helping us through affliction. At the same time, we don't know what to say about it. For a pastor, my job is to be with people in their suffering. And I have had the privilege to be with some of you in your sufferings. And it has been eye-opening, heavy at times. And I'll talk about some of what I've seen in a moment, but first consider what it is that the Scriptures talk about what the plight of man is. This is not just talking about the first century when people were being persecuted for being Christians. This is bigger than that. It's talking about the suffering of humanity. Look at verses uh, 22 and 23, if you have your Bibles open. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now my children were born at a time when the husband was in the room with the woman giving birth. And I can tell you that childbirth is awful. If it was up to men, most of the world would be non-existent right now because I don't know if we'd have the guts to, have, to give birth to the next child after the first one was born. And he compares what the whole world is groaning with. The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Have we not experienced that some in the last year and a half? Do we not know what it is to groan and see this broken world and say, what, what good is there? How can this be good? Or am I supposed to say as a Christian, yippee, be joyful, life's hard. Is that what James 2 is saying? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. What are we to make of this? Is it lament or rejoice? Well, my conclusion is going to be both. Lament and rejoice. As he goes on and talks about what this suffering is that he's referring to, in verse 23, it gets personal, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are in a, the, the place that we're in right now is a season of groaning. One third of the Psalms are laments. I'm embarrassed to admit that when I first studied the Psalms, I thought they were shallow and unchristian. These guys were complaining about what they were going through. They were talking about what, like, if, you've read, if you're familiar with the Psalms, we like to pick the happy ones. 
But what are the ones that stand with us when we're going through a hard time? What are the ones poetically that speak what our hearts are feeling, the groaning that's going on with the suffering that's going on in this world and in our own hearts? As he writes this, he is not nullifying everything that he's been saying around it in regards to the gospel and the promise of the glory of God. It's right wrapped up in the promise and the glory of God. It is significant to note, if you still think after what I've already said, that it is unspiritual to acknowledge that you're suffering or acknowledge suffering and call it what it is and to say that it's awful. Jesus himself quoted from Psalm 22 on the cross. At the, you know, hours before he died, he told his friends, I came that you might have joy and have it to the full. That's true. That's what he came for. That's what he was about to do at the cross. He was bringing joy. It was a joyful experience. It's James 2. That's James 1, verse 2. The same time, he's quoting Psalm 22. Let me quote some of Psalm 22 for you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day and you do not answer, and by night I find no rest, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. Do you know how far Jesus went with the sermon that day from the cross? He yelled, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was he unspiritual? Is there a place for lament in our lives? Is there a place while being filled with the Spirit to say, this is awful? As a Christian, I have had occasion, because God has called me into ministry, I, I again, I probably admitted to you a number of times that before I became an elder the first time, I used to come to church and think everybody was good. The only person who was struggling in the room was me. I went to a church where people dressed up in dresses and got up in suits and everybody looked great. Everybody said they were fine. And I felt like I was the misfit. I'm the one struggling here. Well, when I became an elder, I began to discover that no one's fine. We can pretty much strike that word from the English language. No one's fine. I mean, it's okay for us to present that when we're having a conversation, but if we're talking to friends, I had the, the privilege to be with my friend, uh, Don Ferris. You know him, Janet, the guy that discipled me. I spent four days, Jeannie and I spent four days with Don and Shar while we were on our sabbatical. And I started with, I was fine. But sitting and talking to him, I started to, we started to share stories of what had gone on. And we were all weeping soon. Why? Because life's hard. 
because it's hard to figure out what God's doing and how he could turn this to good. How could this be turned to good? Well, the Holy Spirit is there with us in our struggling. And he's there to help us. He truly understands. When I became a pastor, I listed off some of the things that I have struggled alongside of people with in our congregation over these seven years. But I want to admit that just because I have met and prayed and groaned and wept with people in their struggles, I don't believe that that means I even understand. Just take the loss of a child. I go home. I I move on. And that family continues to suffer and ask why. Loss of a spouse, loss of a child, loss of a friend or a family member, loss of finances, business or job, belittled by parents, friends, family or schoolmates. That's not a little one, by the way. That's crushing. Chronic illness, family members devastated by addictions, both those with the addictions and those who have to live in the shadow of it. Abused by family, friends, or others in authority. Loneliness, how we've seen loneliness over the last year and a half. Divorce, chronic anxiety, debilitating depression, cancer, loss of reputation, rejected because of your faith, When we started the church, I'm going to mention a couple of people. When we started the church, Jerry Babb was um, a man who helped us get construction projects done. I, I went over and walked at work, I met him at his house one time for dinner. He was changing his windows. This is seven years ago, six years ago. He is changing the windows in his house. Today, he struggles walking. Old age. I can vicariously somehow begin to understand the humiliations that come with old age, but do you have any idea the struggles, the losses, the... My friend wrestles doing things that he's been able to do his whole life and he can't do them anymore. And he's trying to redefine what it means to be a man, be a friend, be a husband, when he can't do hardly any of what he could do. My friend suffers, and I understand a little bit by sitting with him. But if I'm perfectly honest, I don't understand. I haven't been there yet. Jeremy, answer to prayer what God has done. We were scared to death for you. Wouldn't a good God not cause that ladder to fall? I'm not asking you to answer. I already know you're a man of faith and already believe that God's doing good things and you've already testified to it. God is at work even when tree limbs wipe out ladders beneath us and break our backs and 
we grieve and groan with you and we may see little pictures of what God's doing, but we rejoice that God has answered the way he's answered. Would he still be good if he would have answered differently? Absolutely. Would we still have had to figure out lament and rejoicing together? Absolutely. Brenda Cannell has been my friend for uh, 30 years maybe now. And all of the time that I've known her, uh, she has suffered under lupus, a debilitating disease. Over the last 20 years or more, headaches have made it so that she can't make it to church most of the time. She has headaches that, that she struggles with all the time. She's our church family. How is that good? What's God doing? How does the Holy Spirit help? And each person could testify as, you know, all of these things that I've listed have stories around them, and many of them have multiple stories around them. And people could stand and say, well, God showed up here, and God did this, and the Holy Spirit did this. But I want to acknowledge that there one-third of the Psalms are lament and that our Lord and Savior was lamenting on the cross as he went to save us. Wouldn't it have been cooler maybe for him to say on the cross, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm going to be with my father in just a second. Would you jab that spear in sooner? I want to go. No, he was human. And he was suffering and he wanted to live because God put that desire in all of us to live and to overcome and to get up and to keep fighting and to hope for the future. The Spirit intercedes with compassion. He understands, he intercedes, and he brings goodness. Look at verse 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The most quoted verse in my passage that I'm preaching today. Oh, how I wish it was quoted in context more. It's in the context of suffering that isn't ending. It's not in the context that my job's going to go well or that I'll be healed from this disease, or that I'm going to stop being lonely, or stop struggling with anxiety, or that God will heal. God may heal, and God may overcome those things, and we pray to that end as we should. But some things will not be cured, and some things will not be overcome, and God's goodness that is promised here is in the midst of that. The Holy Spirit intercedes with goodness in mind. Those who love God groan. Are you okay with that? I mean, I'm not saying complain or not trust God. I'm saying groan. And what does the groaning look like? Well, it looks honest. 
It looks like saying what you're feeling and what you're going through. And more than likely, whatever you're going through today, it is matched with good things at the same time. God promises to work out good. Does that mean all things are good? Absolutely not. Abuse is not good. Being belittled is not good. There's no way to make it good. Being manipulated or dominated or being hurt by other people, that isn't good. We should not say, thank you, God, that the world is evil. Because God didn't create the world evil. We chose evil. God chose good, and he is redeeming a people for himself amidst this painful, difficult world. Some of you may be young enough still that you're not hearing what I'm saying, and you think, oh, it's not that bad. Live a little while. That's what I would say to the younger version of Todd. Keep your mouth shut for a little while and listen. God says he's going to turn it for good. The first thing I want you to know is that there's a, the promise is in the context of those who love God in this, relation, this love relationship with God. And we're going to see that word blow up at the end of chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we're in this loving relationship with God, God is going to turn how much for good? All of it. He's going to turn it all for good. The other qualifier is that those who are called according to his purpose, those who are busy about trying to let God do what he's doing in our lives and in others, thy kingdom come, that 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 God would reign in my life and that he would have his way with me and that I would submit to that, that I would fall in line with that. There has been no, possibly no greater example to me than that than Bill Erickson in how he handled what he's gone through with his kids, with his boys. In open-handedly trusting God that, that God would, that he was now on assignment for God. As a father with two boys with Duchenne dystrophy. And that commitment would be a four decade now commitment. What does the goodness of God look like there? Wouldn't a good God heal your sons? He did, didn't he? He did for one and he is for the other. That's our promise. That's our hope. When he says all things work together for good, that does not mean, yippee, I really like what God's doing. I like the answer. It means that in God's hands, he is going, in the Holy Spirit's hands, he is going to do something good in us and through us that has eternal value. And I believe that from heaven's perspective, not from earth's perspective, from earth's perspective, we lament and we trust and we rejoice in our hope. 
But in heaven's perspective, I think those difficult things will be the things that bring God the most glory. And for the first time, we will be able to thank him with abandon. Now we do it by faith. God is working all things for good. And maybe you came here to church today like my friend who told me, Todd, I want a happy sermon. I want somebody who's going to tell me that everything's good and make me feel good about me. Well, that's not the story of the Scriptures and of our faith. The story of the Scriptures is our faith is our Savior suffered and we will suffer with Him. And we will be glorified with Him. That's the promise of our faith. That's the goodness that He promises. What is He doing now? Why doesn't He make life easier for us? Anybody want some of that? Don't raise your hands. Anybody want some of the answers? To the things they've been praying for? Anybody want some of the solution? Anybody want to play God for a little while? All right, that was a bit too far, right? Please don't. We've got a good God on the throne. One we can trust, and we would all botch it badly. So we pray with humility. The Spirit intercedes with compassion. The Spirit intercedes with goodness. The Spirit intercedes with hope. Goodness moves to this change in our hearts. That's what he's doing. He's changing us from within. In verses 29 to 30, read on with me. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the good thing that God is doing. God is bringing together a people for himself and he is bringing the image of Christ, causing it to be built into them in large part through suffering and alongside of suffering. As we suffer, God is changing us. And somewhere along the line, I became convinced that God was way more interested in my character than he was my comfort. And I was way more interested in my comfort than my character. And for me to come in line and pray correctly, I needed to understand that my Lord and Savior suffered significantly in a way that we can't understand. As much as I may not understand your suffering, none of us understand the suffering of Christ taking on our sin. And out of the ashes, glory. And out of the ashes, no clear declaration of love has been uttered in the heavens or on earth. Our God said it was good at the beginning when he created. Humanity did what humanity did. And Jesus came and it was good again. as the Holy Spirit fills us and changes us. How do we respond in hard times? What what does it look like? I mean, this is what Jesus is, what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. 
He predestined us. We were planned. He foreknew and predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son, which means that he wants us to be kind and compassionate and gracious and loving and concerned for others and give our lives away. There's a miracle that's happening where he's making the church like his son, and he does it through pain. I some might say in COVID that the bridge church declined, like we didn't grow, we actually for the first time went backwards. I disagree. I think in the power of God that, this is, that he's causing us to grow in ways that we've never been able to grow. Because that's what the Spirit of God does. He predestined that we would become more like his son. And all of us need more. That's how we pray. And we might be the firstborn among his brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. And this is our story that we'll be singing through all eternity. He saved us. So how do we handle suffering? And what can we expect from the Holy Spirit? I mean, maybe you think all I've said now is going to be hard. Get out there and endure it. See ya. That's not the kind of help that the Holy Spirit offers. Notice that the Holy Spirit groans with us. And he knows how it'll end. God is groaning with you. I can't groan with you and understand. The Holy Spirit does. He knows all that you've been through. For some, they experience difficulties and it causes them to move away from God and distrust God. And I'm arguing that by faith, you come close to God and you trust him. While you're lamenting and rejoicing in the cross. I'm convinced that there is no one here who doesn't carry a weight. Maybe you're in a season of rejoicing and you don't have cause to, I mean, you would be, we could could preach on that, right? We could preach on all of, there's so much good and so much we can rejoice in and be thankful for. But I think you're like me and uh, maybe too quick to say you're fine. And the reality is, life is hard and it causes me to doubt that God really loves me. I think the conclusion for today, my dear friends who I've missed, is first that we would groan together. There's two things, that we would draw near to each other and that we draw near to God. I hope we're the kind of church that rejoices together and groans together. Don't assume that you have an answer for somebody else if the scriptures themselves say that these can't be put into words right now. If you're the one that's listening to someone who's suffering 
let me encourage you just to groan with them. And I'm not saying make noises that sound like groaning. I'm saying don't fix it. And I'm probably speaking to me more than anybody in the room. Don't give five verses and think that wipes it all away. As if you stood with them. Having gone through some suffering of my own, I will tell you that those who stand with me in suffering get cataloged in my mind as true friends. And those who don't get cataloged elsewhere. You can stand with me through the easy times all you want, but it's the ones who stand with me through hard times. Let's be a church that stands with each other through difficulty. Let's be a church that it's okay to groan and it's okay to lament. Let's be a church that can say, both rejoice in the, th- the births and the weddings and all of the things that we rejoice in, that, that kids are growing up and graduating and succeeding and the events that they're doing and the, the marriages, the things that we can rejoice in. There's so many. There, there are more. I mean, there's so much we can be thankful for. But we can right alongside of that at the same time be groaning and lamenting the difficulties. Can't we do that as a family? Let's never be a church that makes someone feel bad for struggling. For remaining in a spot that's struggling. For being stuck. For not having an answer. Let's be a church that groans and prays with each other and encourages each other. The way they call it now is be a place that's safe. Empathize, sympathize, but don't imagine that you can fix the problem or even rightly understand their pain. That's the takeaway for me. I may stand with someone who goes through divorce. I don't, I don't know what it is to go home with it, be up all night with it. I don't know what it does. To, it, it, I, can't, I, can, I can empathize, I can sympathize, but I don't understand. But the Holy Spirit understands. The second one and the most important point is draw near to God in your pain. Do not do what Bertrand Russell did. There is no good that comes of removing God from making this something that's good. By removing God from the story of your pain, by not leaning in with God, you remove much of the chance of the glory that he has for you in that pain. Much of the treasure, much of the good. That's what Romans 8.28 is about. It's about that good that's offered to us while we suffer. And how awful to go through pain and do it for no good. As so many do. I implore you to trust God with your suffering. And may God make us a place that is safe for people to suffer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that uh, the Holy Spirit brings us life, brings us peace, 
reminds us that we're adopted children of yours and knits us into a loving relationship with the Trinity. Thank you that we will share in the glory of Christ as the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the promise of Christ. Thank you for the preaching that we've heard on the Holy Spirit and the, the promises of the gifts that we are given and the, the fruit that we've been given in the Holy Spirit and the hope that we've been given in the Holy Spirit. Today, Father, I acknowledge that suffering is hard. And we lack answers. And join Jesus in asking you to remove this cup from us. Take the suffering away. But we also join Jesus in saying, not our will, but thine be done. May you teach us to have the freedom to lament and rejoice in the midst of our suffering. In Jesus' name, the one who suffered for us, we say amen.